Welcome to the REI Mastermind Network, where host Jack Haas gathers amazing stories from leaders in real estate investing. In each episode, our guests will tell you what they're doing that works, what they've tried that failed, and best of all, you'll learn actionable steps to take your real estate investing to the next level. Now, here's Jack with another value-packed episode. We have Tom Cervanzeri with us here today. And to follow along, everybody, I'm going to direct you to their webpage. Head over to perennialpride.com. And we're going to talk about quite a few things. But in the end, um, we're going to break into what, what Tom refers to as family banking. And this is going to be a bit different from, you know, some of the banking structures that we've seen before. And, and to, but, but in the nutshell, how would you describe that, Tom? You know, to me, it's it's uh, so. Thank you first, Jay, for like letting me on here. This is a big fan of what you do, and and uh, hopefully, I can provide some value to your audience. Yeah, when I when I think about family banking, it's more of a it's not a physical bank, of course, but it mimics the function of a bank in the sense that it provides a a great storage facility for families, but it gives people an opportunity to finance things themselves in a lot of ways and recapture you know, interest that the banking institutions would typically take from us if we want to use them. So a lot of this is centered around a lot of the, you know, uh, old school ways of even like the Rockefeller family is the best per, uh, family most people would know that would adopt this, that they um, used um, uniquely designed life insurance policies as to store their wealth and then control the financing for their businesses, real estate, whatever they want to invest in, that their family gets to benefit and use instead of having to go to the bank if they want to, if they need to. So it just gives you a more ownership and control um, and provides a sort of storage bin for, for wealth for families. Sure. You know, so some people might be familiar with infinite banking, but this is kind of Tom's own spin on it. On it, I, I really kind of am interested in diving into this a little bit further because in the end, when it comes to real estate investing, it is about, part of it is about that generational wealth and protecting it for the next generation. But before we go there, I'm really curious, and, and we're going to delve a little bit, and to, to Tom's surprise probably, a little bit of mindset, because I think it's fascinating that you were in the pharmaceutical industry for 15 years, and uh, you made a pretty drastic shift in your career uh, going into this. Like, what what caused that? Yeah, it's uh, fascinating. I think a lot of the... Um you know, I, I try to follow the model of going to school, get a great job. You know, this is what they tell you. And my parents came here as immigrants and, and gave us tremendous opportunities. So I followed that path and went to graduate school and thought I was doing well. And and uh, I kept at the job and it, it kept me sort of locked in that world. And as I started realizing things, especially around my own financial life, that I didn't feel like I had a lot of control. And similar with my job, I didn't feel a lot of, a lot of control. And as I started watching and learning more about different ways people are managing their wealth, it got me interested. Obviously, real estate was one area, and it sort of led me to continue to get educated. That's I'm just a, a perpetual learner. And I was uh, learning from things like Rich Dad Poor Dad, which I'm sure a lot of people have come across, and, and learning about different ways of, of how people are building their wealth. And it wasn't what I was taught, or at least what everyone is marketed to. So I started just learning through that while I was working at Pfizer and learn all these unique strategies like infinite banking and learning about real estate, 
while I was working because I, I just wanted to understand it. It's my nature. I'm a science guy by trade and uh, I wanted to see the truth. And so it took me a little while to learn it and investigate it and see what was right. And it led me to try and experiment with a lot of these different financial strategies. And, and I started falling in love with it and <laughs> it allowed me to build wealth and income streams. So to allow me to leave my job and have the choices of uh, what I get to do daily and who I get to do that with. You know, a lot of people will make this type of shift when they've extreme, they're experiencing some sort of pain in their current situation. Was that the situation here? Well, some of it was pain in the sense that, you know, just like everyone uh, experienced 2008 and some of the, the, the pain from, from the crash there and didn't like that feeling, but also pain in that I didn't feel fulfilled in, in a job anymore. And I was looking for more, more out of life. So I think that was a kind of a sort of uh, impetus to me to explore. And I had I'd gone through this a lot too. I've seen as I grew older, I recognized that my parents who came over here, father was a physician, uh, you know, on the surface, very successful practice that him and my mother uh, uh, managed. But I slowly found out that they were really having financial struggles, um, uh, taking risky bets and not managing their wealth. And it, it really was saddening to watch it all happen as I was an adult. And it pushed me to even take, take more emphasis and say, I need to control my wealth or someone else is going to do it for me. And it likely wouldn't, wouldn't result in what I would want. So a lot of those pains, unfortunately, came not directly at me, but through my family. And it's compelled me to think about my family's wealth and generational wealth. More importantly, how do I start what I think what my parents started us on? They just uh, found some missteps along the way. So it's it's really inspired me to to pursue that for my family and, and the generations that follow. So when you made this career shift, did you do it slowly or was it like just jumped right in once you've got your mind made up? I'm a slow starter in that sense. I, cause of my nature of having to research and I like facts and I want to test things out and make things sure that, that they're correct. It did take me a little while because I want to understand the truth. A lot of the things I was learning, they just were not, they were counter to what I would typically would hearing all over the place. And so it would, took me a little while to get into it, you know, meet more people and then formulate my own sort of theories and opinions about it. So it did take me a while. I dipped my toes in and the more I dipped, the, the farther I got and, and, and just met some tremendous people along the way that, you know, are today good friends of mine and advisors that I, I still keep in touch with or mentors of mine. And, it's just been a blessing to be able to, you know, meet them along the way. But um, yeah, it did take me a little while because it's just my nature of experimenting and, and testing things out. So if somebody is listening to us here right now, and if they were thinking of a career shift, a big career shift like this, what would you recommend? What did you learn from this shift? And what would you have done differently? The biggest thing I learned out of that shift is as I sort of ventured into, and I'll, I'll give you, this is the, the, the story that epitomizes it all. I went to a real estate meetup. You know, you have these all over the place and people go in and meet. And I was a little hesitant. I was a little scared. I don't know anything about real estate. I walk and I figured I'll try. I almost did not walk in, right? I almost stepped back in my car and walked and drove home. I went in, went through the meeting, didn't get a lot out of initial for most of it. As I walked out, I 
caught eyes with a gentleman and we started talking and we hit it off really well, really intriguing. We met for the next year and this guy, we've done so many deals together over the years. And it was just one of those things that I said, listen, you've got to get yourself out there, have the courage to meet and ask questions and, and talk to more people and learn and don't be fearful of it. I learned that more, more than more often than not, people are willing to talk to you and even help you if you're willing to be open yourself. And I think it just took a little more courage and through that now it, it doesn't, it doesn't phase me, right? It's, you know, everyone's got something that they don't know. And, and, and as long as you're open and honest and sort of look to try to help them out um, as well and learn about them, I think it's uh, um, always can lead to at minimum, some of a, a good friendship, but even better, a potential fruitful business partnership or venture together. So just don't, don't be nervous about it. <laughs> So you, during this whole process, then you talked about rich dad, poor dad, and you get into some real estate investing. What was your first for, foray into that? Like, what did you jump into regarding a, the first? Investment? Yeah. And it was, it was actually off of that, that meeting I had in a real estate meetup. I had not done any real estate up to that point. And so in that conversation with a gentleman who was a very active real estate investor in the area, I just asked him, what is it that you most need now? And what he needed was capital. So that's what I had plenty of. I had no experience. So that's why I helped him. And we partnered together for a whole bunch of deals and helped him build his, his wealth. And then in reverse, he helped me sort of secure, secure my first real estate property right in the area. And we, it was a tremendous place. So I own it today. It is a massively uh, beneficial asset I own. And it was because of that first encounter that all spurred there. So it it started me down the road of experience learning about all different facets of real estate and what I liked and didn't like about the different areas. Because as you you have all your guests on different ways to to uh, real uh, do real estate investing, um, I kind of started there though by just lending my own money, um, and I did that through my life insurance. <laughs> I oh, lent, sure. Yeah, so that's where I lent money from my life insurance policy. Um, I borrowed their money to loan to him. And, you know, I took, you know, a, a four or 5% or loan and made it into 15. So um, just by siphoning, my money was still working in the background. So that's what I learned that through that sort of infinite banking, family banking sort of environment, how you could control that and uh, keep more of your dollars moving all, at all times. <laughs> well, you know, I, I think let's, let's jump into the, to the life insurance and, and what you refer to as family banking here. You, you uh, let's, let's face fact, like whole life insurance has kind of gotten a bad rap over the last uh, number of years. I don't know if we, we can point the finger at certain popular financial radio hosts, yeah. but um, I, that's where I'm probably going to point it. But let, let's break some myths regarding this. Like what can and can't, what, what's, what's some of the benefits of whole life insurance and what are some of the downfalls? Yeah. And, and I'll start with just a general myth, right? I mean, when we think about, uh, and I separate these things in my head very clearly and I'm dealing with my clients, what's an actual investment? And usually what people are saying about whole life insurance, oh, it's the worst investment you can make. And I said, well, I would agree with you because it's not even an investment. It, is, it helps to, it's a storage bin of wealth that is guaranteed to only go one direction and never lose. So to me, investments in, entail in, including some risk. 
and risk of loss, right? So to me, it's equivalent to a savings vehicle, something you can draw from. And that's why it's sort of akin to a, a family banking environment if you understand how it functions, right? So to me, that is usually the biggest thing I need to help people understand. It's a, it can be a very powerful asset if you understand what it is, but they're making apples to orange types comparisons across the board. And it, it sort of makes it very confusing for people. So for me, I use it as a vehicle to pass, just like everyone's dollars go through where it's the first thing, their paycheck or wherever the money goes into a bank. Well, you just take a slight little detour into a different asset is called whole life insurance. And so the reason I love it, and most people want to protect their families, right? And we, in this day and age, we know as far as I'm aware, we're all mortal, right? That is a certainty is gonna happen. So I said, and I also believe our, our number one asset on this earth is us. So why not protect it to the max? And so I use that sort of philosophy to say, okay, let's protect ourselves in this store cash, right? Because it's a great place. We need to store cash somewhere before we deploy it. Um, but why not use a, ta and a tax sheltered, which is also a very huge benefit, right? Um, that's why a lot of very wealthy people use this is a tax sheltered environment um, and can be tax free. And then there's a contractual guarantee to allow you to borrow money, just like a home equity line of credit, right? That you can borrow against an asset while not actually consuming that asset. It exactly works the same way. It's just instead of the house is you you use a home equity line against, right? You're you're in a life insurance policy. The death benefit is the entire asset value. And someday you will pass. And that will go to your family, charities. But while you're living, you get to consume and use those assets to build your wealth, to fund education, to to give to charities, whatever you want, but no one gets to tell you when you get to use it. You have freedom and control of it. And that's the beauty of, to me, the family banking environment is, you know, to be able to use that to, to supply everything you want for your family but and your businesses. But then when you do leave this earth someday, whenever that happens, that asset now transfers to your family. And that, to me, is the essence of family banking. And then they can use it to perpetuate their lives, their businesses, whatever they want to do investment-wise. Um, they can use those same funds. And that's exactly what the Rockefeller family, obviously within a trust, had done this. And they they put a life insurance policy on anyone who gets born in that family. And that's what I've done for mine. My children have uh, policies from day one when they're the healthiest. And now they have a runway of hopefully 80, 90 years of building wealth that they're going to be able to use and leverage wherever they want. Sure. So just to remind everybody, head over to perennialpride.com to uh, check out what Tom, Tom has a few uh, guides and, and, and uh, things there that uh, you can download to kind of get a clearer picture of what we're talking about here. But in order to get a clearer picture, Tom, I, I, I was hoping you could kind of give us an example. Like, let's start from, from beginning to end. Like uh, when somebody comes gets one of these policies to, and since we're a real estate investing podcast, let's let's talk about how somebody you've helped use this to acquire a property. Yeah. So it, it's um, more recently had a, uh, a business owner who was looking to get into real estate um, and he had a, a, a bunch of money sitting in a bank and he has family protect. Right. Mm -hmm. And so he's trying to figure out how to deploy this. So 
when we're designing things in the using a family bank, it's centered around building as much cash is available immediately. This is the thing that most people dislike about whole life insurance because early in the typical way these are designed, there's very little cash available because it's holding a massive, potentially massive or million dollars or plus death benefits. So a lot of your money is kind of being held for a little while, right? So the way we designed them in this situation, we put in, so he had access to nearly 85% of his cash right up front to use and, and secure, he was securing nearly $5 million, $5 million by putting like $100,000 into a policy. And he had access to 85,000 of it. He borrowed against it to actually fund a real estate deal, right? He was gonna just give it the bank away, but now what has happened here, although he doesn't have access to all his money, he has an asset he's starting to build and grow and own in a death benefit of $5 million right? That he's now secured with very little money. And now he has access to guaranteed financing and use that as a down payment for the real estate deal, right? And that's what he can use that for. The cash flow that's generated from that will come back to pay off the loan in the life insurance policy and start paying down the, the loan in the policy from the policy. And then every time he does that, more money becomes available, right? It's an automatic sort of line of credit that you have control over. And the beauty of it is that um, if anything happened, look what happened with COVID and people stopped paying rent. Well, because of the, the nature of the line of credit tied to these policies, there's no terms other than the interest rate. So you can stop and pause. Nobody tells you when to pay it because they're using your death benefit as to pay it off just in case, right? You're going to eventually pass. So that cleans out any loans down the road. So it's a very safe loan for life insurance. So you have control of that note. And if you need to, you can pause. So this is where it can be hugely beneficial. Now, it takes some time. The downsides of it is that some of your money is tied up early because you it is putting the life insurance company at significant risk, right? Because you may pass. So that has to build up over time. And But if we design it in a way you can have a lot of money up front. And then within the first, probably the third or fourth year, every dollar you're putting into this will show up as additional cash for you to use. And it just gets bigger and bigger every year. It gets better as you even get older. And so that that's the downside of it. It does take a little time to capitalize, but just like any good business, which we know, not all businesses start with profit. Businesses take time to, to mature. You're actually building a a banking business for yourself in reality. You're capitalizing with your own funds and you get to use the life insurance company. And even banks will loan against this today because they know the security of that cash. It's not going away. So they also will, will lend you money against it as well if you want to do it that way. Okay. So just to clarify something then, the value there that you can you can lend your, your, your are you lending yourself the, the money to a certain extent? Well, you're, you're basically using the life insurance company's sort of general money and borrowing from them. So you are borrowing from the life insurance company, but all your dollars that you have as cash haven't been touched. They're just being used as collateral and okay. they continue to grow and compound over time. So so let's say you're like in this case, the example you just gave, he's got a $5 million policy. Um, you're not 
you're not uh, getting a percentage of the five million. You're getting a percentage of what you have and essentially that that savings account. Yeah, like if you if you treat it like a home equity, like an equity, whatever right. equity is in the house. In this case, it's the asset of life insurance. You can borrow against that as use as collateral, the that that cash, but the cash continues to grow. If we did it in the bank regular bank way, you have to literally withdraw that money. Sure. And stop so, working. so the, where I was getting at is is that when you are paying this paying this loan back, so you your your money is staying in that account no matter what. Yes. And now you you have this essentially this other bucket of money that that the insurance company is lending you. When you are paying it back with interest, does that interest go back into your account and continue to help grow your portfolio, or is that interest just paid to the insurance company? Yeah, am I making sense? Yeah, yeah, it's the latter. So most of it it's going to pay the note from the life insurance company. So it is an actual loan. Right. Sure. It is a physically loan separate from your cash. So the beauty is your cash, though, goes untouched and allows to uh, grow uninterrupted for, for decades. Right. And compound on self tax free in there. So you're using that bowl of money just as a piece of collateral. Um, if you pay extra in it, yes, it would start building up your cash even more, just like if you're paying your your house down faster. It's going to go to principal, sure. right? So it, it acts in the same way. I think of them very similar nature of assets. Um, it's just you have a little more flexibility in a life insurance policy because you can you can skip payments if you want to, right? And you pay more when you want to. And it, they don't say, no, I can't take it away from you, right? right? Like a home equity line. So you can use them in the same fashion. It's just you have more control over it. So with with that all being said, um, you mentioned it could take some time. Like what, what typically, what is the tipping point where you're putting money in at what value is it worthwhile to consider taking out that loan? Yeah. Cause I think, you know, depending on the nature of your aggressive, you could put a large amount in and you could take it out like in that same year and use it. So the typical uh, way that we sort of design them, you know, within the first five years, literally every dollar you put into this policy will be as cash, right? You've kind of broken even. So that that's where the you just recognize some of the money is held up in comparison to a bank. But this is where we think long term, long term with this, this will massively outpace any bank account you could ever imagine, right? Um, in a tax free zone. But the early stages, you just recognize that you're building and you're behind a little bit. I kind of equate it to like a marathon. If you were if you're running a 26.2 mar- uh, length marathon, you're behind the first mile or two, but you're eons farther away at the end. You really care, right? Um, most people don't, and you just have to recognize that's the sort of structure of these policies, and you know you're going to pick up on this and and surpass it very soon in the in, you know within five years. Sure. So. Um- and I hate to put you on the spot like this, but are we talking about 20,000 in the account, 50,000 in the account? Like what value does it, should it probably, is it going to be worth it? Yeah. And that's where it's, it's going to depend because obviously you have to qualify. That's a the challenge with it. Some people are not healthy enough to get it. So it will depend on your income, your asset values, because they have to evaluate 
you know, what you even qualify for. You know, to me, I, I said, if, if you're going to do this, you know, at minimum, if you're depending on what you're planning on using it for, you know, most people in the five to 10,000 a year range. But frankly, the, the idea is that even if you did that, most of your money is already going to you're going to be able to access it. So it's not like all that money just goes away. <laughs> right. So to me, so it, it does vary. I mean, I have people putting in five to 10,000. I have people putting in well into the six figures, right? Because they see where it gets used, right? So afterwards, so there's not, once they understand the, the philosophy of it and recognize that it's also protecting their family for 50 to 100 times their premium, they see that it provides much more utility than a simple simple bank, right? Um, so they can use it in different facets and and help manage actually their the protection of their families, but also their tax liabilities because everything in there is can be free from taxation for their their duration of their lives and for the next generation. So you you've mentioned the tax benefits a couple times here now. Can you explain a little bit how it is a tax benefit and how it's how it's yeah. protected? So in the yeah, by by um, the way these are designed, that uh, when you are contributing, obviously you're contributing after tax. So we think about a Roth IRA equivalent, uh, the money going in after tax. But as it's building in in your, it's uh, there's guarantees with that cash, but you're getting dividends along with it because we're using companies that you're kind of like a part owner, just like if you were a shareholder of a stock based company. We use companies where the insured people are actually owners of the company. So you're eligible for dividends and that goes to your cash as well and builds that up along the way. And you don't get taxed on any of that um, along the way. And so it builds the cash value, builds tax free. And and then obviously the death benefit, if you did pass, would go tax free to your to your beneficiaries when you're pulling out money for loans. That's a tax free sort of use of dollars in a lot of ways. That's why people like to do that. You hear like Elon Musk, he doesn't sell his stock because it will result in a gain. So here we're leveraging dollars. Even if there's a gain, we can take a loan and then the asset still continues to grow. So we're essentially taking tax-free dollars from our gains. And so because of the way we use this, we can create loans even towards the end of our lives. And then when we die, all the tax-free money from the death benefit will pay off the loan the rest goes to your family tax-free. So you can store cash tax-free, you can borrow against it and use it through life tax-free and even withdraw it. And then when it passes the next generation, there's no taxes. And for people who have significant estate tax uh, challenges, depending on where the laws go with it, that there are ways that you can put these into trust as well and make them immune from estate taxes, right? Completely, they're completely out of your estate. So you can set those up as well. So there's a lot of ways, but the reality is if you just follow the rules, you'll never pay a tax on any gain or use and benefit your family for these dollars. Sure. Well, you know, like I said, uh, look at this. We've, we've chewed up 30 minutes already. But uh, again, I just wanted to remind everybody, head over to perennialpride.com. See what Tom and his team are doing there. There's a lot of great content that uh, Tom is freely giving out. But uh, Tom, uh, you know, before I let you go, is there a question or concept you wish we would have covered here today? I think uh, for me, one of the things I would I, I wish we'd covered maybe is um, how how best to sort of use these dollars to fund the next generations and teach you how do we use this to teach them about money and sound principles. Sure. 
that because that's the type of thing that I think we can get so tied up and me personally, because I love talking about it into mechanics of life insurance and how it can be used and all the tax benefits. But what I find to be especially most compelling, especially relates to me and my children and others is how this teaches them how to use money and how what are sound money principles that can be uh, taught that they don't teach these things in school and they don't teach how banks make money and all those sorts of basic concepts um, is really that is a heart of a lot of what you know inspires me because it hopefully will transfer to my family and all the clients I get to work with and their children and and um, have, have people only controlling their financial futures. That to me is uh, bliss <laughs> if that could happen. Yeah. So why don't we go down that road just for a few minutes? Like uh, why <laughs> this is putting you on the spot again. Why do you think we, this is such a big part of our lives, especially as we're growing older. Why do you think that this is such a gap in the education system? I mean, I think there's a lot uh there's there are two things that I think about this. I think there are people that are are scared of the topic, right? They think it's complicated, and so they shy away from it and don't want to openly talk about it. I mean, I grew up; no one really talked about money. I didn't find out till I'm adult that my family is having money problems, and so it just isn't an open topic. We give it such a more power than it really deserves, frankly. And I said. We need as a, as a society to be able to talk about it. It isn't what defines people's lives and their successes. There's more to us as people than that. And I think we just sometimes give it so much power over over us. And and then we you know we also hear so much from a marketing lens of what is what is the right way to do things. And we hear so many so much noise from Wall Street and how you should do all. Of, it, it just makes it uh, difficult to have these conversations about alternative ways to doing it because there's so much noise around that. You know, I, I, uh, I just don't think, and I, and you know, people can think negatively about it, but I think there's a lot of powers that be that like that, right. For people to have be ignorant around these things so they can stay in within their control and the confines of a system that is very lucrative for those who are controlling it, but for the people who are in it, it actually reduces their control and allows and makes them be part of the system. And so I think there's a, there is something to that. And so now that I've broken away from it, I can feel it and I know it, I see it. I see where you can have that control and ownership of it. Um, but it does take a little bit of energy and, <laughs> and willingness to kind of learn new, new things. Yeah. You're, you're sounding, if, if anybody follows Robert Kiyosaki outside of his rich dad, poor dad books, you're, you're pretty much saying what he, he says is that there's, we're kind of, we're incentivized to stay where we're at. You know, when I was, when I was going to school, you know, one of the things, an exercise that we did when, and, and I'm going to date myself a little bit, but as far as I know, they don't do anymore is that we used to like, uh, we, I was in a, uh, social studies or an economics class and, and we even just played around with the stock market, you know, you know, it was all fictitious of course, but at least they introduced us. I don't think that's even a thing anymore. Yeah. It, it, I see it in little spots, but it is still centered around stocks, bonds, mutual funds. That's finance. And there's so much more to it. Even in the world I live in with life insurance, I mean, to protect your biggest asset that you own from day one, don't even talk about it. Right. And mm -hmm. they used to save money. That's where people used to save money was in life insurance until mutual funds started getting into the fold. Right. And then the, the dialogue and sort of positioning went away. And so I think it's just um, 
you know, a lot of things people hear and they take it for, for granted and as a truth and they don't test it. They don't question it. Um, it's easy. So unfortunately, um, some people will, will take that leap, like especially in your audience who are real estate investors, you know, most people don't get into it. Why is that? Right. They won't. It's too scary. It's too risky. So they just kind of stay in their little bubbles of what supposedly is safe. Mm-hmm. And if anyone looks at today's markets, I don't know if anyone would say they're safe. Yeah. Well, I, I just think it's it's interesting. You know, it's it's one of those things we've either you, I, I feel like I see a lot of people, they either set it and forget it. You know, we're, we're, we're trained to contribute to our 401ks or you might have a Roth IRA or, or something like that, something traditional or stuff that you're like stuff you're talking about. Let's, let's be honest. I mean, for the most part, it's fairly straightforward and, and kind of boring to the average person. It gets drowned out by these people screaming at them that, real estate investing can be a get rich quick scheme mm-hmm. or, or something like that. So it gets drowned out by, by this. It just, it's just loud. <laughs> yeah, it is loud. It is loud. And, and, you know, that's why I use you know, from our lens of the safe house of money of life insurance to get into things that people and it can control. That's where you invest. Right. And that could be anything, whether your business or real estate or if you are an expert in stocks and bonds, fine. But be an expert and understand and know where you're investing. If you don't, then you, in my mind, you're, you're mostly gambling. And right. it's, it's likely to be high risk with less reward. And I said, so I really encourage people, especially around real estate. I get it all the time. I want to invest in real estate. I ask them the very first question is why? What is it that you're trying to do? with this because it's just an investment tool, but what is it for? Why is it so compelling to you? Because then you'll get passion and, and sort of interest in learning it and getting it. Then you're going to probably mitigate risk and probably be more successful in your investing, right? Because you have a purpose and you are you have a passion for it and you're gonna probably wanna learn more and more each day. So I always encourage people to think about those sorts of things as they're thinking about their financial life and investing because you can make money in a lot of different ways, but understanding why you're doing it is to me of the utmost importance. Well, on that note, I really appreciate your time, Tom. This was, this was great. Um, and, uh, again, perennialpride.com. that you're welcome back anytime. I hope you'll take me up on that. Oh, absolutely. Thank you. I appreciate your time. Love talking to you. If you learned at least one actionable step to incorporate into your real estate investing, If so, please consider returning some of that value by leaving a positive review, subscribing to our YouTube channel, or joining our growing network on Facebook and Twitter. You can find links to all of our social media accounts in the show notes. See you next time.